Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. What is your take of that June 25th report that really didn't say anything? Well, it didn't say much. I suspect, excuse me, from the reactions of some of the congressmen, one of the congressmen at least, who's seen it, seen the classified report, that there's a lot more in there. There's something like 45 minutes of video, and uh, Marco Rubio hinted that it was going to be leaked by someone, and uh, which is an unusual thing for a senator to say, unless he's hoping it'll happen. And he, uh, so that's part of it. But the even the part that was released, which is very little, and you know, I know everybody who's involved in the UFO phenomenon mm-hmm. was disappointed, and I knew they would be before it was even released. But there is a point in it on page four that's very important. It is talks about sociocultural stigmas remain obstacles to collecting data on UAPs. Uh-huh. And they, they point out narratives from aviators in the operational community and analysts from the military and IC intelligence community describe disparagement associated with observing UAP, reporting it, or attempting to discuss it with colleagues. Although the effects of these stigmas have lessened as senior members of the scientific policy, military, and intelligence communities engage on the topic seriously, reputational risk may keep many observers silent. Now, this is this lays down uh, a, a new kind of a rule. It's saying that if you get information, if someone wants to discuss information like that or report it, they are not to be disparaged. And this works not only within the military, but it also serves notice to the scientific and academic communities that sneering at this, laughing at it, and dismissing it as swamp gas or uh, birds or cockpit reflections or any of that, that's over. And it also says to the granting community that you have the right and the obligation perhaps even to start granting in this field to uh, researchers who want to engage in it from within the scientific and academic communities. And I know a lot of scientists and academics who are very interested in this and can't get very far with it simply because they can't get grants. And I think that this document is going to change that. I'm hoping it will. You know, it's interesting, too. This government has had UFO reports and investigations going on. 1948, they had Project Sign. 1949, Project Grub, Grudge. Then they moved the Blue Book. They've been doing this for a long time, Whitley. Well, they have. And one of the things, the media, the general media, certainly not Coast, but the general media has no past. It, 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 it doesn't really do history. And it, it doesn't get largely it. Largely because that's not its job. But the result of this is that we've been talking about things that have happened since 2004, recently, and it's as if 
that's when it started. And that's why people can offer opinions like, well, it must be ours stuff. And the report states specifically that it is not, that these aren't uh, our uh, uh, things that were built by us. But anyone who's familiar with, th- with this at all knows about things like the Twining Memo, uh, which was uh, circulated secretly by General Nathan Twining on September the 23rd, 1947, in which he describes the action of objects uh, that the f- he says, the phenomena reported is something real and not visionary or fictitious. There are objects probably approximating the shape of a disk of such appreciable size as to appear as large as man-made aircraft. There is a possibility that some of the incidents may be caused by natural phenomena, such as meteors. The reported operational, and this is the important part, operating characteristics, such as extreme rates of climb, maneuverability, particularly in roll, and action which must be considered evasive when sighted or contacted by friendly aircraft and radar, lead belief, lend belief to the possibility that some of the objects are controlled, either manually, automatically, or remotely. Now, that is a description of the same type of movement that we see described in the and and see on now on video in the material since night that has been released since 2004 that description was written in 1947 so there's no way that this is uh this is uh something that we built we didn't have this in 1947 that's right neither did the russians no one did in 47 at all and I don't think anyone does now, although I would certainly hope that we know a little bit more about their propulsion methods and so forth, uh, because we've been looking at this now for a very long time. And I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'd be so far go so far as to say I'm certain that we have metal from the objects, and I'm certain of this for a simple reason. I've got some of it myself. In fact, it came from Art Bell. It's part of Art's parts. Art's parts. Yeah, he gave me part of it. He gave Linda part of it, Linda Moulton Howe. And he may have given it to someone, to others. I don't know. I didn't ask him. But I have what he gave me, most of it. Some of it was relieved from me at Southwest Research in Texas. How big is it, Whitley? Oh, it's little. It's a tiny piece, but it's an absolutely fascinating and remarkable piece. Um it is uh, uh, just a fragment, but when you look at it under even not not even an electron microscope, but just a 600 power optical microscope, what you see is layers of bismuth and then magnesium that is somehow turned into a foam, and then bismuth and magnesium and bismuth and magnesium. Now that doesn't sound very remarkable except for one problem. There's nothing between the layers but empty space, and you can see that clearly. And there's nothing holding them together. They're not, there's no adherent. But it's together. But it's, it, you can't break this thing up at all. You, we tried. It's really, really strong. 
It's like and it's magnetized, totally but it's weird. We have no idea. It's, a, it's like a little tiny miracle. And it's a fragment of something that exploded very violently. And I mean very violently, because whatever broke that up was a very unusually powerful explosion. Did Art ever keep a piece, or did he just give it away to you and Linda? I don't know. He, uh, Aaron may well have some of this. I, I have no idea. I could ask her. Yeah. She may not even know what it is. Yeah, pro- possibly not. I mean, maybe in somewhere, he may well have kept some of it. He gave me, he gave me some little pieces of metal. How did he get it, Whitley? Well, he told a number of stories about that, and I suspect that he didn't really want to nail down the person who had given it to him, because I think that this stuff, I know that even though they deny this, that the Battelle Memorial Institute, that famous uh, lab that does so much work for the government, has worked on this metal. And not my particular piece, but this this metal for a long time. Somebody could have lifted it from that place, huh? Uh, Oh, no, he wouldn't get it from Battelle. But somebody... Somebody who said that they had uh, gotten it, it, it during the Roswell incident gave it to him. And that may be true, because the other thing is that the other little pieces of metal I was going to tell you about, they were little, uh, Linda had some of them too, and I, she may still have them, I don't know. They were just little little uh, squares and oblong shapes and a c- couple of little circles. They were very small. And I kept them in a manila envelope for years. And I, one day I opened that envelope, and the interior of the envelope had been scorched and at the, by their presence in it. They, they were emitting some kind of energy. So at the time, I was living in Texas, and I took them out to Dr. William Mallow, the head of material science at Southwest Research, Southwest had been founded by a friend of my family, uh, Tom Slick. He was a very wealthy oil man who died tragically in an airplane crash. But before he did that, he founded the Mind Science Science Foundation and the Southwest Research Institute, which is now one of the leading research institutes of its type in the world. Anyway, Dr. Mallow was one of the first people to start in the institute, and he was the head of material science. So he had pretty much run of the campus, and I brought this material to him, uh, in all of the material, and he asked me if I could would let him send the little metallic pieces onto a Navy lab, and I met some of the people from the lab, and they said they would send them back, to, send it back to me. I never got it back. Oh, before. of course not. But but then later. Uh, Jacques Vallée and Dr. Gary Nolan, who has uh, done a lot of work in this, and I don't think he's ever been on Ghost, but Jacques has, uh, analyzed some of this, but same, I, possibly even the same fragments that I gave, ended up giving to the Navy, and found that they had not only isotopic ratios that weren't found on Earth, but that could not exist in this universe at all. And yet there it was. And to change isotopic ratios takes 
an enormous amount of energy, more energy than we could we could we could direct. We could not do that. And but why someone would not only make something that has non-standard isotopic ratios, but isotopic ratios that don't even occur in this universe as we understand it, it's a complete mystery. What when when you've looked at this? What started the UFO cover-up? Well, that's a very interesting and complex question, and we're going to take a little time with it. Uh, let's go back to something to to 1948. Or no, let's let's go back a little farther. Let's go back to something really interesting. I know Jacques and. Jacques Vallée and Paola Harris have been on coast to talk about their new book, Trinity. Mm-hmm. Well, there's something interesting about the Trinity uh, uh, crash. And, and the reason I think that it happened, not only because I think they did good research, but it's because it, the crash occurred close to a major nuclear Facility. Facility yeah. that with the Trinity site where nuclear weapons were being tested. Now, let's fast forward a couple of years to the Roswell incident, three years, two years later. What happens is this. A rancher comes into town with a lot of metal and other pieces of what looked like balsa wood in his carryall, in his little truck. And he says that something apparently crashed on his land, and he found the remains, these remains. Now, this causes a tremendous and immediate upset at the Roswell Army Airfield. The reason being that that airfield is the home of the 509th Bomb Wing it is the only operational atomic bomber wing on Earth at the time. You see the connection there? Yep. Trinity site, now we're next to the atomic bombs. Now, of course, the military at, that, at, at Roswell was immediately extremely concerned, which was why they sent Cav Cavett out to look over this crash site. Uh, he was an intelligence officer. Uh, and Jesse Marcel went as well. Now, what they found, I'll get to that in a minute. I, I knew General Arthur Exon pretty well. He was a my uncle Mickey's commanding officer, and my uncle and he told me that when they were at Wright Field in the Air Materiel Command back in 1947, they had been involved in the receiving of the debris and the biological materials from Roswell. Now, let's go back to the situation as it existed on the ground then. They go out there, they do find that something has crashed there. They know for certain immediately that it is no weather balloon. And it's not theirs. They know that. And and no, no kite or anything, no target kite. It's nothing like that. But what they don't know is exactly what it is. 
Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.